Come on. I really need Spurs to get their shit together because this next month is going to be hella, um, <laughs> hella uh, stressful for me starting a new job. So I need there to be less stress on that end. Well, um, I'm sorry. Stateside Spurs podcast. Uh, it's just Chris and myself, Austin, here today. Chris, say hi. What up? Come on, you Spurs. Colin, Colin is returning from a uh, much-needed vacation, and uh, we'll be here uh, in a couple days for us to do a North London Derby uh, preview. We t- last year for both North London Derbies, we did a North London Derby special where that's all we focused on. So we will be doing that again this week. Uh, today we're here to talk about a week to kind of forget um, and preview a week that is quickly turning into a pretty pivotal week of the season. Chris, <laughs> um, it's Tuesday, Tuesday night, late Tuesday night. Uh, we've had more than two days now since the match against uh, Chelsea. How are you feeling? I am... I don't know, slightly dead inside. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> and there's the name for the podcast, slightly dead inside. We got it. We, you know, five seconds in or 20 seconds in, we've already got it. I, yeah, it, does make sense. it does make sense. You know, I think to remind the folks, we'll go back and talk about Ren very briefly, but we got we got to start with Chelsea. To remind the listeners where we are all at um, last week heading into Chelsea, none of us really had High expectations. Colin did um, predict a win. I okay, think that but was even more... his expectation was he was kind of a caveat to the fact that you and I both predicted losses, and he didn't want to predict be wanted to be a round table loss prediction. So I think yeah, even he was, was kind of like, of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> his was more of I can't I can't have a situation where all three of us are predicting losses. Um, so I'm going to predict a win. Um, you know, we all felt that Chelsea is is a strong team. I I was not in the camp of thinking that they were title favorites or strong title contenders, but now I think I'm in that I'm in that tent after seeing the way they played. Yeah. You know, last season we talked a lot about Chelsea, and my contingent was they didn't score enough goals, and that I hadn't seen enough sample size to know that their defense was elite. I'll admit their defense looks elite. Uh, and they are scoring goals now. So, so Chris, before we deep dive into the game, set the context for for the for the listeners out there. Leading up to the game, uh, before we see lineups, leading up to the game, what were you hoping to see out of the performance? Let alone, <laughs> we're expecting a loss, but 
what were your bare minimum expectations for a performance? And then we'll, we'll get into the lineup in a second. But just set the context, you know, you go to bed Saturday night. What is your expectation Sunday morning um, leading up to the match? I think going into this game, I, I have to say, I think all of us were just really hoping not to be embarrassed. Um, <laughs> to go out, and, and, and that's the best way I can put it. Go out, give a good performance, give a good account against a Chelsea side that we all know going into that that match is absolutely I they are there that's a strong team that's just a it's just a really good team it's hard to argue that they're not it's hard to argue that you know they they don't have not only a strong starting 11 but an unbelievable bench um so I I really just wanted to go into that game and not be embarrassed. I wanted, if we'd have come out, if you'd have offered me a nil-nil draw or a continuance of the one-nil wins, I would have bitten your hand off to take that against Chelsea. Right. Um, I, I just, I wasn't surprised. I, I was really surprised by our first half, and I will get into it, but I just, I didn't want to go out and be embarrassed you know, the last, time, the last time I, cause I, I, echo, the, I, I echo those feelings. Um, and the last time that I felt like that going into a big match, you know, I never really felt that way under Jose. Because say what you will about Jose, it's not in his nature to lose big. And we rarely did. We did have some shit performances. And we had some losses we had no business losing. And I think if you go back, you'll see that there were a couple matches that we lost handedly. But we rarely got drubbed. It happened a couple times. I'm not saying it didn't. Um, and under Pochettino, it rarely happened that we got drubbed, right? The last time I remember was AVB's second season, which he did not finish. Every time we went and played a confident, te- a, a confident team, I just remember thinking, please, Lord, don't let us lose you. <laughs> that was a season that the first two games of the season, I think we lost by combined like nine goals to nil. We lost to City and United in the first two games, I think. I think City beat us twice that year by combined goal difference of like eight or some crap like that. Uh, Liverpool destroyed us that year. You know, every time we went and played a good team. You're we talking about destroyed. the AVB year, right? The the last year, the, the final? One. Yeah. Yeah, the I, that I just remember one. watching, there was an AVB game. because we kept getting beat. By like four goals. It was the the Liverpool game. There was a Liverpool yep. game. There was his last game, I think, actually in charge. Where when they scored their fourth goal, the camera zoomed in on AVB standing on the sideline, and just the look on his face. Like, yep, I'm fired. Said, I'm fired. That's it. Yep, that's, that's it, it for it. me. I'm done. I I will not continue here. Uh, and sure enough, moments after, I don't know if he made it down the tunnel before Daniel Levy fired him. Um, and the rest of that season with Sherwood, <laughs> I still had the feeling of, please, Lord, don't let us get destroyed. Because with Sherwood, you never knew what the hell you were going to get. You might get Kyle Walker as a center mid. What? Tactics, Tim? Yeah, you never knew what you were going to get. But <laughs> we went through six years of, of Pochettino where you knew we might get beat, but we might also show up and you know beat Real Madrid 3-0, right? Right. We didn't right. get destroyed very often. And under Josie Mourinho, we played shit football, but we didn't get destroyed very often. We now have two 3-0 losses. Before we get into the lineup and the, and the deep dive on the match, this is back-to-back 3-0 losses. 
uh, one against the mid-table team, one against the title contender. You know, I don't remember feeling this way as a Spurs fan, where we had two 3-0 losses sandwiched around a midweek European draw um, against, you know, Ren were a Champions League level talent at, you know, last year or whatever, but they are mid, you know, they're probably a, a mid or upper mid table uh, 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 team in France. You know, just just real quick, and then we'll get into the deep dive. How are how does that affect your feelings of where we are here in the back end of September of two three no losses in a row, which is as a Spurs fan, we're used to disappointment, but we're not necessarily used to that in the past decade, right? Well, I mean, when you're when you're Spurs, the highs are high and the lows are low. I mean, we <laughs> went from that could be another another podcast title. <laughs> But we we went from three straight wins to open up the season. Yes, there were one nil wins, and there were questions with them, to two straight back to back, just absolutely abysmal performances. And it, it's I think it's the crash. It's the crash back from being top of the table and having three straight wins to open up the season that made Crystal Palace so hard. Uh, had we been able to get a draw or a result against Palace, and then we walk into this Chelsea game and lose 3-0. 3-0 against Chelsea all of a sudden doesn't seem so bad. It's the fact that we Uh, had... 3-0 against Chelsea always feels bad. I mean, it feels... Let's be honest. It's Chelsea. Let's let's give it the perspective. In that that way, (laughs) yes, they're title contenders. Yes, they're a strong team. Yes, they're champions of Europe. But it's Chelsea. We yeah, never. I mean, if it was Manchester City at their heights, or even Liverpool or United, I think what you're saying, it's Chelsea though. It always yeah. hurts, right? Don't get me wrong. It sucks to lose to Chelsea. They're London rivals. They're they're a team that's down the street. So you don't want to lose to them. You want to give a good account. But I think a lot of sports washing money, you know, yeah. dirty Russian oligarchy money. So I mean, there's that. It's the idea of losing to Palace. 3-0 and then Chelsea after having such a promising start as in results promising. Yeah. I get that we'll get into all the rest of it, but results wise, I think if if other things had gone our way, the the Chelsea loss wouldn't have been as disheartening as as it was. So what I'm hearing is going into it, you're hoping not to get embarrassed. Um, we'll get into whether or not you felt embarrassed after the match. Um, but then looking back on the first five games, we have nine points out of 15 and we've played City and Chelsea. I don't think the exact results have lined up with our expectations, but if you would have told us at the end of the season, five matches, two of which are against Chelsea and City, you're going to have three wins and two losses. You probably would have said, yeah, that's about right. right? <laughs> we lost to City, we lost to Chelsea, we won out of everybody else. Fine. Yeah, sounds about right. That's not how it happened, and so I think that's why it makes it tough to swallow. But, you know, there, there is some back-end uh, uh, perspective to have there. But let, let's get into the match here. So, cool. so we wake up uh, Sunday morning, and we see the lineup that we all wanted to see, right? Let's, I'm going to give the lineup for the fans here, uh, for, for the listeners here, and then I want to get your reaction as what you expected to see because I think we saw something actually slightly different than what at least I expected. So... Of course, Lori starts in the back line. Emerson gets a second league start in a row. 
You have Romero coming straight into the side for, I believe, that's his first league start, right? Yeah, that's his first real uh, start. Dyer yeah. comes back in after not training all week. Um, after that dead leg, he may have trained one day. Uh, Regulon's obviously at left back. Then we have a mid. Then we have a midfield that actually, on paper, I couldn't tell who's going to be the third midfielder, but it ended up being Delhi, Hoyberry, and Dombele in the midfield. With Lo Celso playing up top with Sun and Kane. Sun comes back in after not training all week. Lo Celso comes straight into the side for his first start of the season after not training all week. Um, and Dombele gets a start, his first start of the season in the league after just playing 60 minutes midweek. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's uh, that's Sun and Dyer come straight back after injuries uh, and no training. Lo Celso and Romero come in for their first starts in the league after no training. And Dombley comes in for his first start in the league after just playing 60 minutes midweek. So, Chris, were you surprised, A, by the lineup, given that we were unsure about Lucas or Burgoyne, who both didn't make the squad at all? Uh, B, were you surprised on where Delling LaCelso lined up? And then C, did you feel hopeful seeing that 11 out there, regardless of the specific positions? Did you feel hopeful? So, so I know it's three questions. So, so <laughs> <laughs> it's all bald into one there. Um, it's all bald into one there. But first kind of off, work backwards. Did you yeah. feel hopeful? First off, I did feel hopeful. I I okay. thought this was a strong statement attacking lineup that Nuno was putting out. It was a lineup that he he basically had said we're going to go for something out of this game, and I think that's a little bit of what we all wanted to see was. Let's see a lineup that goes for let's let's get after them. Let's not be the sit back team. And given some of the criticism that he's taken as being far too defensive, this was a lineup that made me think, okay, cool. This is what I think all of us can agree we wanted to see. That being said, then the second question you put in there was the positioning of some of the players on the offset. I do have to say that when I first pulled up the lineups and had to look at everything, it still had Kane up top with Sun on the left wing. And um, it it kind of had Lo Celso and Kane playing as a 4-3-3 with Lo Celso and Kane out on the left and right wings, as opposed to what it ended up being, which was a 4-3-2-1, where Lo Celso and Kane were dropped back a little bit behind Sun. Um, so that initially, when I saw it, completely threw me off because I was like, why, number one, why is Kane far left? Number two, why is LaCelso far right? None of that makes any sense. Um, it, but, okay, still, at least the players that I'm seeing on the field, uh, I'm seeing a, a best 11 taking formation, at least. I'm not seeing him throw out Skip Winks and Hoybier in the hopes of something happening. Um what was your what was your first question? Now I'm trying to get back to it. Uh, blah, 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 blah. It was given that that Lucas and Bergwijn didn't make the squad. Yeah. Were you surprised to see? Yeah. Um, that given that or nah. Skip and Bergwijn, or sorry, Bergwijn and Lucas didn't make the squad. Is that the yeah. only eleven you could have selected? Yeah. Given that Lucas and Bergwijn were were not available for this one, it's kind of what I expected. I think we'd all kind of talked about. Um, with Lacelso and Romero and Sanchez being in Croatia for the the offsite training sessions for their 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 isolation, 
um, that some of those players might be forced to start. And we did find out early on Saturday that trainings had been pushed back and delayed so that those players could come back and train with the team prior to going into this game. So they did get at least one training session late Saturday before starting this game, meaning there was some sort of a planning session as far as this is what we're hoping to do. This is what we're going to try and do. Um, I will say I looked at this lineup. I saw it. I saw the way everything was positioned when I looked it up on Google when I first woke up. And I, I kind of tried to imagine how it was going to be in my mind. My problem was never with the starting lineup. I felt good about the starting lineup. My, my, I got disheartened when I looked at the bench. That yeah. was where I just kind of said, uh, this I is going to be a four problem. Defenders, four defenders, two midfielders, and two forwards, and that's all we had. Right. Um, and it's what doesn't help is that, um, I mean, you've got two forwards on the bench. Brian Hill is 20, 21. Dane Scarlett Dane is obviously, 17. yeah, he's 17. He's obviously not ready. You're not going to throw him in against Chelsea. Um, as good as he is, he has not given any indication that he's. And our only two midfielders are Winks and Skip. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they're de- they're both still defensive changes. If you're going to so bring either one of them on, where we're going to get to in a moment. So hold on to that thought about the yeah, bench. Yeah. Everyone echoes that so thought. Here, give me give me your thoughts so- when you woke up in the morning and you popped in and you saw this lineup. What where where'd you go immediately? I was surprised because I expected one of Lucas or Bergwijn to be fit. And neither were. So I was surprised to see that. Uh, once I noticed that, I wasn't surprised that Nuno started that 11, although it would have been very easy for him to put Skip in there. Right? It would have been very easy for him to start Skip, Deli, and and Hoybear and keep Ndombele on the bench for the second half. That would have been very easy for him to do, or keep LaCelso on the bench for the second half. And he did not do that. Um, he threw out, there were five players he threw out there that either had limited training in the week or had, um, people had questions about their fitness. So, um, after we go through the first and second halves, I want to, I want to go back to those five. So remind me, um, I was surprised because I didn't think Nuno, this is what we wanted to see against Palace, although, uh, Romero and Los also obviously weren't there. This is what we wanted to see against Watford. So we wanted to see against Wolves. And it surprised me that he threw it out there against Chelsea. Because um, he could have easily played Skip, right? And played more defensive and had Skip and Hoybear and Delhi and do the same thing we did against City. I think it's smart he didn't because of the way Chelsea started the match. But um, it was a little... A little um, different to see him go for it i was hopeful i said on multiple forums uh facebook and reddit in our text chat that um this is the lineup i wanted to see but i didn't understand that he was going to be putting the celso forward and delhi back i think it should have been flipped and when we get to the second half and even in the first half i think we'll talk about that here in a second so the first half begins and the first 15 minutes, man, we are on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not creating too many chances except for one. And I want to talk about the regular moment. So mm-hmm. we we are 
We're playing a tactical formation where either LaCelso or Kane are dropping into the midfield to create an overload to put a fourth man in the midfield. But our three center mids, Deli, Boybear, and Gomblet, are very spread out. They're not playing compact together, right? They're playing very spread out. We had a center mid on each wing, almost on, touching the touchline. The number of times I saw Hoybear or Domble or Delhi literally with their heels on the touchline were astounding to me. So we would have LaCelso or Delhi drop into the hole to create mm-hmm. an overload, which then freed up Ndombele or freed up LaCelso. Um, and it was working in, in, in pieces. But they honestly still created just as many or better chances than we did. Uh, Emerson had a fantastic block. Um, they've had they had a few opportunities on the counter. It was a cagey first half that I think we were going toe to toe with them, but I think it was more cagey. But Regulon had a chance. It was a three on two. We had Kane and Son, and I think he only had there was only two defenders on both of them, right? And right. he cuts it back horribly, and it's easily defended. Talk me through that moment when that chance comes and goes. As a Spurs fan for much longer than myself, I can only imagine how you were feeling because I was at the <laughs> pub watching this, and I immediately said, well, fuck, we're not going to get a more clear-cut chance than that. He puts in a decent ball, and Sutter Kane gets a foot on that, and there's a good chance there's a goal, right? Right. Um, that was... I think we all kind of know or have had that moment where you're watching, you're sitting on the couch, you see the chance coming, you see the build up, you see the runs happening, you see it all coming. So you, you're on the couch, but you stand up and then the chance doesn't happen and you just sit back down and you're just kind of like, ah, oh, that was it. That was, that was the big one. Um, the way that we were set up to play, I get that that Chelsea created their chances and Chelsea had a, it, I mean, there's no way around it. They had a good game. It's not that they had one good second half. They had a good game. They played well. Yeah. We stood toe-to-toe with them in the first half. But and, it was toe-to-toe, right? We but it was toe-to-toe. Way. They weren't just blowing through us. It wasn't that they were just cutting Spurs to pieces in the first half. And our game plan seemed to have been and, and I get the whole let's be more articulate and, and and attacking in our in our gameplay. The gameplay here, the the plan was obviously to be a little more defensive, to look for our chances and to take those chances when they come. This was the big chance, or the biggest that I can think of. This was the big so one it to, to me. It seemed to me he had all the time and space, and it, instead of unleashing a shot and hoping for a deflection, hoping for a rebound one of the players. He held on for a second too long. Just and then that realized split second too long. Yeah. And by the time he realized it, he didn't have the, the crossing. The moment he had gone. Cut, he tried to cut back instead of just putting. Would he have been better off just unleashing a shot? Because regularly gets yeah. in these chances. No, get, get a shot off. Put a shot in. If you're from the position lot, right? where he's coming from, from from the angle and the area where he's coming the from. The bail shot. Put a shot the on. The bail shot. Across, across yeah. goal and hard. At at worst, you deflect it. The the keeper deflects it over, and you get a corner out of it, and that could become another chance. At best, he deflects it the wrong way, as we've seen with with Galini Hugo. Galini did it twice. Galini, Galini did it twice. Um, Midweek, he deflects right? it the wrong way, and you've got two players roaming around in the box who can tap it in. 
Uh, so, so yeah, take that shot. You take it. Positions open on the left side of the box, and I think he's got a little gunshot and taking the shots. And well, honestly, I think we need to keep an eye out for this. We, we don't, we're supposed to spend time talking about. It. I think we need to keep an eye out. This regular is he's getting in good positions, but I think he's lost some confidence on what whether to to pull the trigger or to hit an early cross. And as a fullback, I feel like your two options are you hit an early cross or you carry into the box for it for it pull the trigger that's something that someone like trent alexander arnold does so well well like, it's not I, just the loss in confidence of, of for regulon yeah it's not huh? just a loss of confidence for regulon it's also a loss of confidence in that situation it's a loss of confidence in your team to be there to clean up um true when you talk about true, a trent alexander uh, alexander arnold he knows when he goes in and he gets into the box and he takes that shot from an awkward angle and there's possibly a deflection, he knows 100% with absolute faith that there will be at least two other players roaming around in the box who might be able to get something going. Uh, I don't know that our players feel... He's got Kane and Son. I think, I think what I'm right. trying to say is we need to keep, need to keep an eye, uh, eye out for this because the top teams ahead of us, right, all have at least one attacking fullback. Usually right. don't have two. Right, Liverpool has as as Trent Alexander Arnold. Uh, City has Cancelo. Um, Chelsea has Alonso. They don't play two attacking backs. They usually play one. Uh, United has Shaw now, who are who who know to hit that early cross when right. the defense is still trying to set, or to get that shot off. Right. And Regulon's going to have to be that guy for us this year. We don't have anybody else. He is our attacking fullback that needs to create shots or uh, for others, or create shots for himself. And so we need to keep an eye on that. But there was one more chance this half. Uh, but I think it was actually going to be offside if he scored it. But it came to fruition exactly what I mentioned. So Lo Celso drops deep into the midfield. That makes uh, the defense have to shift over towards him. And Don is the free man. And he does the, the he does something that nobody else on our team is equipped to do or wants to do where the ball finds his way over to him and he plays a first time, opens up his hips, first time through ball to Sun. And Sun, uh, I guess it's just like a, a quarter second too late. It gets deflected out for a uh, for a corner, but it looked like he was through for goal and it looked like a classic Sun goal was incoming. But I don't want to focus on that part. What I want to focus on is that play comes about because Ndombele is playing quick passes and he did this a lot. Uh, yesterday, he's still a little rusty. He needs match fitness, as you mentioned in the pod last week. Do you see anybody else in our squad at the moment that has the ability or want to play quick passing football in that way? Uh, because on, for me, to be honest, as, as well as we played in that first half and as much as we went toe-to-toe, it still seemed like Ndombele was the only one willing to play first touch passes and to move the ball quickly forward when at all possible. How did you feel about Ndombele's performance in that first half? And do you think that that there's others in the team that are able to play that kind of quicker style of moving forward? Because none of us want to see languid, stagnant football, right? I think this is, and I think this is a perfect time. I think it's a good time to get into this with Ndombele. I think we can all agree as far as our midfield is concerned, he is an integral part. He is almost un- undroppable. He has to be in the midfield at some point in order for things to progress. Um, 
the way that he plays and what he's doing, he is the he is the engine. He is what's going to keep our midfield moving. He's what's going to cycle the ball from defense up to the attack. He's the connection point that is going to help us to create the chances that we have been so far completely unable to create. There's absolutely no argument that the team has struggled to create chances, and it is because they have been missing a player of Ndombele's quality and and the the talents that he possesses and brings into a game. Um, what I think should happen down the line, and obviously what will happen are maybe two completely different things, but I don't know if you remember this. When Ndombele and Lacelso came into the team, when they first got in, Ndombele would start games, he would play through his 60, 70 minutes, and then Lacelso would come on. Yep. And they would trade out. And I'm kind of wondering if that's kind of what we need to get back to because teams would get so or tired. Vice or, or vice versa. versa. But yep. uh, like if it's one of those situations where Ndombele plays in these important matches against the Chelsea's and the Cities and the United's, and he starts uh, basically the Premier League games. Ndombele starts, plays that 60, 70 minutes. You get the best of him for 60 or 70 minutes. And then a tired midfield, whoever we're opposed, whoever our opposition is at that time, has to deal with a full-strength Lacelso coming onto the pitch. Post, dealing with Ndombele, all of a sudden Lacelso's ability to dribble out of a press makes a lot more sense in the 70th minute when he's facing tired legs. Similar to when we used to bring Lamella off the bench. Oh, teams hated seeing that psychopath coming off of the bench in the 70th minute. They hate seeing Lucas come off the bench. Absolutely. Lucas is a super sub. Teams hate seeing that because he's got ball skills late in matches that they hate to come up against. And that may be the sauce. I don't know. I'm not watching them in training. That's a good shout. That's a good shout because – I, I really started thinking about that the more we talked about like how Ndombele is. You look at how he played in this match, and that first half, he was the best. He was, If he wasn't the best player on the field, he was the best Spurs player by a country mile. Like, it wasn't even close. And the I, and only player who could come close there. was Lloris, and Lloris has been carrying the team. <laughs> Since the beginning of the season, so and I also think it's unfair because some people were, you know, were saying that Ndombele, uh, you know, looked gassed at 35. Our whole team looked gassed. It's clear that we're still not fit as it, a well, team. We've got to get over. We've got to get over this idea that Ndombele looks gassed. We have, have to, to get past that, right? Because we have to start realizing that different players have different styles of play, well, in the different French body league, language. Not he's not, it's not that he's gassed. This is the way he plays. When he's not on the ball, he's more than likely just looking for space and opportunities. People like, okay, case in point, little people messy. are used to seeing, people are used to seeing, uh, people, like lamellas who are running around like chicken headless chickens. Correct. You're you're not. This is not Lewis Holtby we're talking about. Granite. Those are carved from granite and have one percent body fat, and you know never look tired in their life. And Domblay's in shape. But okay, here's my thought. Uh, like okay, and I and I I'll, I'll pull over to this, and then we need to get back and go back into what we were talking about. But Lionel Messi. A lot of players who have played with Lionel Messi will say. 
in the first 10 to 15 minutes of a match, it looks like he is just uninterested and uninvolved in the game. But what he's actually doing is watching. He's walking around the pitch. He's not really involved in the play. He's just watching the way things are developing, and then he'll kind of integrate himself where he feels he needs to be. And that's why he is so good. And Domble seems to do something very similar. When he's not on the ball, he's often looking for what am I, what could I be doing? Uh, I, you know what? The ball might go there. I should get there. You know what? I've seen Sun make this run two or three times and he seems to keep doing it. I'm going to watch that. He seems to catch on to those. And, and that's the kind of player that he is. So you're going to see him languishing about the midfield and, and looking for his opportunities. But that also means that we have to have very industrious midfielders next to him who can also do a job to cover while he's doing his bit, while he's doing his part. Hoybier is the perfect foil for him because Hoybier is always running. <laughs> there may not always be a product to it, but he's always moving. He's always disrupting play. He's always breaking something down. Um, but it's the way Ndombele is right now. If he, if 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 he can continue in that vein, if he can continue what he did in the first half against Chelsea, any other team, I think he's able to create a goal, if not score one himself, from the way he was playing because he was that well, good. And, and with and with Mourinho, he didn't often play ninety minutes, but he did finish ninety minutes more, you know, quite a few times. And it's we make three subs a game usually, right? I mean, there's going to be players that don't make 90 minutes. So this whole idea that like 90 minutes is some sort of benchmark for a player, like you have to be able to play 90 minutes. Well, I mean, yes and no, right? Like there's been plenty of players in history that don't play 90 minutes, but you like Musa Dembele very rarely played 90 minutes. Are you going to tell me he wasn't fit? Musa Dembele, even before his health issues with us, before he moved to center mid, very rarely played 90 minutes. Correct. Are you yeah. going to try to tell me Lucinda Bailey wasn't fit? It was this style of play. He had heavy legs, which made him a block of granite to try to get around and made him so good, but it also tires him out more. You know, the, the using a more physical style of play where you're holding players off all the time also is more physically exerting. Yeah. You can only do that for so long <laughs> There's a before it gets us up. always played 90 minutes. He didn't yeah. play very physically on purpose. His style of play was, I'm going to get rid of the ball before you can get to me, right? Like a really good quarterback in the NFL who never right. gets hit. Why is Tom Brady always so healthy? He never gets hit. He gets rid of the ball so quickly, even though he's slow, you never can hit him, right? Erickson got rid of the ball quickly. He used space efficiently, and he ran at a constant pass, uh, pace instead of, instead of sprints and stops. So he never put exertions on his body. And he was always available for that reason. That's a great quality to have. Some players again, don't have that ability. Some players are different, right? Vandervaart very rarely played 90 minutes for us, but he was our most important player in those two seasons. And then he would go um, get pizza and beer after the game. Like he and, was, and he was amazingly that, out of shape. <laughs> our whole team still looks like they're struggling for, for fitness because we spent a year and a half with, with a coach that did not train fitness at all. Right. So Nuno's system dictates fitness and we're all all of our players are lacking that. But at halftime, because we got to move on at halftime. No yeah. Way. Yeah. I think we all would have bitten your bitten 
bitten that chance off uh, pre-match if you said at halftime is still nil. I think we all would have taken that, right? Absolutely. Here's the problem. We come out for the second half. We make no changes. And Tuchel takes off Mason Mount and brings on Angola Conte. I looked at my friend who met me up there, a coworker of mine, and I said the game's over. Yeah. Okay. Then we're on the same page. <laughs> um, That's it. You know, That's my, it. We're my done Chelsea here. friend was trying to flatter me in the first half saying, see, I told you guys we're going to come out and play. But the second Conte came on, I knew the game was over. Walk, walk the listeners through why we had that feeling. Well, the first re- the the biggest reason, the first reason is there's what four teams in the world that can look to their bench and pull up a world class midfielder, possibly capable. the best midfielder of the past <laughs> six years, the best exactly. intermid of the past six years, if not the best on the short list of the best with the Modric, Casemiro, correct, um, and they just pulled him off their bench in the second half oh. because they were struggling against Spurs and said and and like. Uh, People were waxing were lyrical. Or was this always I'm not struggling? Right. But they had failed to to take their opportunities. They stopped. They looked at the situation. Tuchel stopped and looked at the situation and said, They're overloading my midfield. I need someone who can dominate that. And then we can take back this game. You sacrifice the forward. You sacrifice the forward for a well, for, for a you sacrifice a forward because you know you're being overloaded in the midfield. You've got right. Lukaku up front. So you know there's going to there's going to come a point where there's going to be a chance, and you have to make the best of that chance. And he made the tactical decision to say, "I'm going to move somebody back deeper into the midfield to get rid of this overload where Spurs are creating their opportunities." And it absolutely worked. And for Spurs, it was the nightmare scenario because he we had changed. Nothing. He no changed answer. the game. Yeah, he absolutely changed the game. And to to my point, I I honestly think at that point when Conte comes comes on and changes this game to that degree, number one, I was like, I don't know what we're gonna do after this. I do believe um, the game plan for Spurs at that point, there was an attempt to change it, but that goal from the like- set piece disrupted completely any game plan that we had. And I think it was the second goal. I think it was the second goal that really did that. But, but let's break this tactical this tactical nuance down a second. So I mentioned that in the first half, Hoiber and Dombley and Delhi were not connected at all. They were playing very separated, creating lots of space. The, the, the goal was to, to widen the center midfield out, knowing they only had two center mids to cover out to where those wingbacks were because they were playing with a 3-4-3 like they like to do, right? So they've got four midfielders, basically. Their wingbacks playing as midfielders. So Ndombele and Deli and, and Hoiber play very stretched out. And then one of Sonner, Son, or sorry, one of LaSalle Sorokane drops in to be the tip of the spear and create a very kind of uh, flat diamond, so to speak, right? Right, and right. force their defenders to step out, right? Tuchel sees this. And says, if I add a defensive midfielder, now my defenders don't have to step out at all. I have a defensive midfielder. I have actually two defensive midfielders and then Jorginho. So I've got Kovacic and, and, and Conte. My defenders don't have to step out anymore. They're going to mark that, that that person dropping deep. My wingbacks now are going to be in the overloads on the outside. How open were Alonso, 
and <laughs> they play Azpilicueta as the other wing back. Yeah. They were open constantly in that second Acres half. Why? of space. Acres because of space. Because they decided we're just going to put three mid-center mids in the middle of the pitch who are always available for each other. And you can have all that space, but we're just going to play right through the middle of you. And it was it showed the tactical I, – I hate to say it because I hate giving Chelsea credit, but Tuchel really showed his master class. With one simple move, he took the game over. Now, the, the, the set piece was unfortunate, but they were on top when they scored it. To me, Conte's goal, which was a bullshit fluke of a goal, and everyone's saying, well, no one closed him down. Conte's the worst long shot on that whole team. I think Thiago Silva get, is better at long shots than Conte. Conte's one weakness of his game is that. <laughs> his long shot ability is horrible. He his scuffed wings level. that shot. He scuffed that shot so badly that it ricocheted off two players and went in. Like, that goal, I think, is what changed. I think we went down one goal, and I think Nuno's thinking, okay, look, they scored, but it's just one goal. Like we still can change There's the still game. Still a result to be had here, yeah. When we give up a second goal, all of a sudden now we're chasing it, and we have no attacking options on the bench. Right. And at that point, Conte goal killed the game. Uh, and you saw it. The players had nothing left in the tank. We weren't fit enough to keep up our first half effort. And uh, you know, I think if we had Bergwijn and Lucas, we don't make the starting eleven that we had, and we have more options on the bench. I think we both agree that if Bergwijn and Lucas were available one of the two starts. Right. Um, yeah, definitely. So, you know, okay, so so we don't we don't need to go into the depth of the game. There's one incident I do want to talk about though with with, with Rudiger. Uh before we move on and talk about our, our concluding thoughts of the game and the week that we have ahead of us. So at one point uh Emerson gets knocked over and fouled by a different player. He's on the ground prone the whistle blows, and a solid two seconds later, Rudiger comes out of nowhere, punts the ball against Emerson, then steps over him and stamps on his shin. Now, Emerson doesn't sell this too bad, right? But it's not even looked at. My, no, not even. My conclusion is that VAR is the way VAR is being used for red card or violent conduct incidents, whatever you may want to call it, dangerous, reckless incidents. Is that if a player doesn't ham it up, they're not going to look at it. And so it's promoting people flopping. It's promoting Lamella doing what he did against Martial, which we all can say was a ham job, right? It's promoting what Rudiger did to Sun just, what was that, two years ago? When Sun mm-hmm. barely flicked his, che- his, 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 his boot out, it, it barely made contact with Rudiger's chest. And Rudiger fell down like he was sniped from a from the balcony, <laughs> and Sun gets sent off. To me, there's no difference in what Rudiger did to to Emerson on Sunday than what Sun did to Rudiger. Yet we constantly see VAR not even look at incidents unless the player is acting like he was killed. So, I mean, how are you feeling about this type of situation? I mean, I've noticed that they are letting more things play. They're not sending people off for certain conduct. But, I mean, if the rule's there, the rule's there. Like, if they're going to call it this all year long, fine. But we've seen ticky-tack red cards given out for far less than what Emerson did, right? Or or am I being hyperbolic? No, you're no. This this was ab- this situation isolated by itself, not looking at anything else. 
bare minimum should have been a yellow. Bare minimum should have been a yellow. Uh, the fact that he was at least two seconds late on punting that ball into another player doesn't matter. It should have been a red. It absolutely should have been a red. I don't care about anything else going on with it. Um, VIR has been, once again, poorly implemented. And it just means that there hasn't really... I mean, we dealt with the same thing last year. It was poorly implemented last year. It's the same thing this year. Um, I, I don't... It's hard to it's hard to justify it at this point. It's it's hard to make an excuse for it because you've had time now with it. You've had time to work out these systems. You've had time the other to other countries are getting it right. <laughs> yeah, you've had time to adjust to rules. You've had time to look at how other com- countries are implementing VAR. I mean, this shouldn't be this difficult to catch fouls like that where it's an obvious foul. I mean, I get it. I, I, I'm i one of the people who honestly believes that there is a almost like a media conspiracy against Spurs to just make us look foolish. And well, even on fun. that note. Do you think, do you think, <laughs> do you think, do you think, do you think I, I don't want to go down the conspiracy rabbit hole, but do no, you think we don't have to. I just, VR isn't allowed to give yellow cards. Do you think that's an issue? Because to me, it's like if you're able to review the play, why can't you recommend a yellow card? It's no, still the I, honestly, decision. I think everything should be handled the way it is. Um, I love, and and I, I'm as much as I like MLS because I have a club down the street from me. Um, I believe MLS handles VAR in the correct way, in that they uh, like basically the VAR official just says, "Hey, there's something that happened." go take a look at the camera off to the side and let us know what you think. You're on the field. And then the ref goes over, watches it. The referee as if he saw it live, right? He can give whatever he wants to give. And and the VAR official doesn't make a call as in yellow, red, whatever. He just says, hey, something happened over here. Go take a look at X minute. We'll bring it up on the camera downstairs. You let us know what you think. It should be be that simple. They buzz him for a goal, right? Why can't they just buzz his watch and say, hey, there's something you need to go look at. Go to the monitor. We'll tell you what we think you should look at. And you look at the entire play and you make your call. Because yeah. then at least it's the on-field ref taking ownership for it. I think, I think what the problem is is that they, they don't want to make refs look foolish. and They don't want to ruin the credibility, but they're ruining the credibility of the whole system. But regardless, I think we need to reiterate. Chelsea were miles better than us in the second half. Yes. They had a way better bench. Uh, if Timo Werner wasn't the one who was brought on, they probably would have scored more goals because Timo Werner screwed up two golden opportunities in hilarious fashion. Um, a Chelsea friend will point out that he got the quote-unquote assist for the Rudiger goal, but Rudiger's shot was even pretty scruffed. Uh, they, I mean, both Conte and Rudiger's goals were uh, one in a hundred, uh, if that opportunities. I mean, the XG on those aren't very high. Um, I think it, I think 3-0 does flatter um, Chelsea. I think 3-0 does flatter Chelsea, uh, but uh, 2-0 probably would have been would have been justified. Um, but, you know, we've got to move on. Um, it, it's always, always sucks 
to lose to Chelsea. Um, and I think this might be one of the worst losses against Chelsea I have seen in my Spurs tenure. I cannot remember another 3-0 loss. Um, let me look it up real quick. I, I, I honestly do not remember us losing in my, in my tenure as a Spurs fan. Okay, so you had an FA Cup semifinal back in 2012 where we lost 5-1. So you have to go back all the way to, to April 2012 for us to have lost. I guess we did lose. We lost 4-0 um, in 2014 and 3-0 in 2014. 2014 was a bad year. That was the um, that was the end of the AVB era, I believe. So the end of the AVB era and beginning of the Pachino era. Okay, so you have to go back to 2014. The last time we had a score line like this, um, we had two bad losses in a row before our 5 3 loss. Chris had to run downstairs real quick to check on uh, baby Hugh. I was just uh, saying, you know, you have to go back seven years basically for us to have had a loss like that against Chelsea. So it's, it's tough to swallow. Can we talk about the, the biggest on. elephant in the room? And that's that? number 10. <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. Before okay. we get to that. I mentioned earlier there was five players that were brought or that could have possibly been surprise starts. Seven players in all that were up in up in the air as far as starting. Lucas and Bergwijn are two of those sevens. They didn't make the squad, so take them away. So let's put these in groups here. Lo Celso Romero both came back on Saturday from quarantine. Both start. Give me your evaluation of those two players as far as their match fitness, because I think we're going to have similar issues, and I think the answers are different for Lo Celso and Romero. Uh, I thought Romero was actually pretty decent. I um, thought so, too. All things considered, I think he showed his his quality as to why he was brought in to strengthen the back yeah. line. Um, I have no issue with having started Romero there. He looks the part, right? He looked good yeah. out there. No, he looks a solid center back. Um, yep. I think putting Dyer next to a solid center back, I think the way that Sanchez has played, and to add to that, the way that Romero has played, Romero's has made great. Dyer better. Right. But uh, Romero's, a, this is obviously a, a quality center back we have on our hands. Um, La Celso, on the other hand, was not great. Um, was he played out of position? Ooh, yes. But at the same time, you got to be better than that. I mean, the second goal came directly from no. getting distance. <laughs> There's, a, and that's why I'm kind of like hesitant to be like, yeah, but he was played out of position. I don't, I, I see the point in putting him there because the way I'm looking at the formation in a four two in a four three two one is he's the more advanced, and if you put him next to Ndombele, they can kind of trade off at times. He can drop in. He can play. Like he's he's more or less of a winger, more of a of, of an attacking mid, and so I see why you put him there. Um, I still don't think it's his best position. I think we all came to the conclusion last year, uh, last season, that Lacelso is not an Erickson replacement. He is not a ten. He's an eight, maybe a six, um, but he's not a ten. It's not his role. So he was played out of position. I just struggle to think what the alternative would have been. And I, and I think I agree yeah. with that 
that with that assessment. So, you know, Romero had a good game. I think LaCelso was one of the lower rated players by both fans and critics. Uh, Dyer and Son both picked up injuries. Uh, Dyer in the previous Premier League match, Son over the international break previously. Both were brought in with very little training. How do you feel like they both played? Dyer made one goal line clearance at one point. Yep. And I always give defenders credit when they hit something like that. So Dyer himself was great. I think playing Sun down the middle and and using his ability to be direct was a good move from a tactical standpoint to a degree. Um, I just don't think it's his best position. He just plays it as best he can. And he still um, looks a little either rusty or match unfit, right? Would you agree with that? No, he absolutely – he played like a man who was coming back from injury, which is yep. what he was. So did – and at times so did Dyer. Play. But so, you have to still play, right? Like, but you, have you to don't do have a choice. And this yep. – and what we were dealing with, you don't really have a choice but to to get him out there. So uh, I think both of, both Son and Dyer were as good as can be. I thought be. Dyer played pretty well. I thought, I thought he was okay. Uh, I think Emerson is catching a lot of stick for uh, undue stick for a player who's played two two matches with us, been forced to start, and um, all things considered, when the alternative at this point is Doherty, who belongs nowhere near a Premier League starting lineup at this. Emerson starts. Sorry, I, it's I don't know who's I out think there thinking. Thrown into the deep end, he was asked to play midfield against yeah. Rick. Uh, and he was asked to go up against a very good Chelsea side. I think he's doing okay. The yeah. fifth player was Ndombele, and we've talked about him a lot, so we don't have to talk about him much here, but he played midweek, and so some of us thought maybe he wouldn't start this game given the the narrative that's taken over amongst Spurs fans that he can't fucking run at all, even though he clearly <laughs> can. Um, were you... How did you feel Ndombele played, and how did you feel when he was pulled off in the second half? We, we um, already said that he was our best player in the first half, or one of our best players in the first right. half. Even right. our best, but among our best players in the first half. And that, that comports with what um, the Reddit evaluation was of him. But how did you feel, we didn't really talk about this, but him and Gio were pulled off in the second half. Did you feel like Ndombele should have gone longer? Did you feel like it was the right move? Do you feel like pulling him and Gio both off was the right move? Um, this is kind of the last thing I want to talk about before we move on yeah, to more yeah. uh, to one general topic that we'll close out with. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have pulled both of them off, but given under better under better circumstances, I would have I wouldn't have started them both. Um, honestly. Given everything that's going on, I probably would have started Hill where LaCelso started. I was thinking the same thing. And then brought LaCelso on late in the for game Ndombele. to be the game challenger for yeah, for Ndombele or even for Hill if Hill just wasn't or for working. Delhi. Uh or for Delhi. Uh, there's a number of places that LaCelso can play that I would have rather seen him do. I'm 100% willing to admit I would have started Hill there now. And probably reserve La Celso as my bench potential game changer because he's, you know, I, I think he's better than a lot of folks give him credit for. But getting back to Ndombele, obviously that first half was great. The second half, he did look like he was tiring, but as that's the, the reason you the keep La Celso okay. in the back pocket. Right. That's why yep. you keep him there. Um, yep. I think 
I think there was a certain point in this match where Nuno kind of came to the point of, I'm not getting anywhere with what I'm getting right now. Let me try complete change and see what happens because one way or the other, this game is gone. And I think that's what he tried. It didn't come off. I don't hold that against him because at that point, the game was already gone. Get these guys some quality minutes. Get these guys some decent minutes. Let's let's bring on skips. Let's bring on like because they need these this time. Given that we don't see the the collapse that we see, I would rather have seen Ndombele stay on and and continue playing and continue doing what he does. He's not going to play tomorrow, so you might as well give him a week. No, off. you don't play him tomorrow. Tomorrow is the game I mean, so, where you start Lacelso and you maybe bring on Ndombele to just, you know, keep it, keep, turn the engine over a little bit. But that's the only reason. So I think I've talked about Chelsea as much as I can talk about it without. Fair. Um, <laughs> but we have one topic we have to get into before we talk about the week ahead of us briefly. Um, and I don't want to go too, too long, but I do want to give this proper, proper focus. We need to talk about uh, HK10. We got to talk about about Sir Harry Kane, and we've got to talk about not just tactically, but um, motivationally. You know what we're seeing out there, and I'm just going to set this up for you um, with with a brief message that I was on the record in the pod saying, in our group and on the pod saying that. I did not like that Harry Kane came straight back into the starting 11 um, after the one message on Instagram. I didn't like that he captained in the playoff game against Paco Sefrara. Um I tried to make that sound good, but I probably butchered that. Um, and I and I did not like that he that he came into the squad before the transfer deadline was over. And the reason for that was that Nuno's big philosophy thing was very Pochettino-esque of when he came in, he said, everyone's on equal footing. Everyone's treated the same. But it was clear that Sissoko, Ari, and and Ndombele were not treated the same way that Kane was. That we didn't wait until the transfer window was over to play Kane. We didn't even wait until the cloud over him was over to bring him back into the squad and give him the captain's armband in a European match, right? I know it's a conference league playoff game, so relatively low stakes comparatively, but it's still a European match and he gets the armband. And we honestly are seeing from him in the first five league matches, it's the first time he's not had a goal in the first five league matches of a Spurs campaign, a goal or assist. Uh, By this time last season, he already had, I think, seven goal contributions. (laughs) If you look at the touch maps, he's all over the place, whereas last year he was very central. He's only had 10 touches inside the box so far in the league. Um, You know, you can call it tactics. You can call it the overall team play. You can call it him. But there's a lack of pressing. There's a lack of sharpness. Uh, there could be lots of reasons for that. But the topic that I want to bring up here uh, for you to speak on for, for a couple minutes before we kind of go back and forth for a second and move on to the, to the week that is ahead is, you know, is Harry Kane motivated to play for us? Are we seeing a motivated Kane out there or is this just someone that's tired? Because for me, he looks pretty motivated for England during the international break. Scored a pretty phenomenal goal for, for England. 
Um, are we seeing a cane that's being used tactically correctly? Um, because to me, and you can tell me if you agree with this, it appears to me that Nuno has shoehorned Kane into his lineup, where against City, we had three mobile forwards who always stayed up, up top, and we had a three-man midfield that shielded our defense, and our three mobile forwards just caused chaos. Kane is a lot of things mobile he is not, and he's dropping deep. He's not causing the defenders to have to move at all, and we only have one runner going past him usually. Um, and so, you know, honestly, we looked, we have not looked as good as we've looked against City when Kane wasn't even in the squad. Um, I guess my overall question here for you, uh, Chris, is, is it a tactical issue? How, there's obviously an issue with Kane, but what percentage of it is tactical? What percentage, percentage of it is motivational, uh, internal to Kane? And what percentage of it is just early season blues? We've seen Kane have August issues, but very rarely September issues, right? His issues usually were didn't score in August, but scored a shit ton in September. Right. We've not seen a Kane league goal yet, and we're about to go into our sixth league match of the year. So where do you put the balance of what the issues are we're seeing with Kane? And is it a big issue or a small issue? Well, for me, I think it's a huge issue. Number one, he's the he is the big player at the club. So no matter how you look at it, no matter what happened over the summer, he's the biggest name at the club. He's the the, the marquee player. Um, as far as why we're seeing what we're seeing from him, I don't think there. I I honestly don't think there should be any question as to whether or not there's something to do with so just. Blues as to what happened over the summer. I think he, we all know that I think he got his hopes up about this potential move to City where things would just come to fruition for him. And then it didn't happen. I think there's a, a certain amount of butt hurt to it as far as just why he's kind of dragging. I also think at the same time, you're correct. He's been shoehorned back in because. The thought process was, it's Harry Kane. He's going to come back and play. I think he did make his whole, I think there was probably a sit down between himself and Kane and Partici and and then um, and Levy of, what do you, this is our plans for you. You're not going anywhere. We want you to play. This is what you want to do. And he probably said, yeah, that's fine. Okay, I'm all in. Uh, I'll make a public statement and I'll get back to training and let's move on. But he, it's one thing to say that it's another Air thing to put it into public statements. Yes. I'll talk it's, about it's very, very different to put it into to action. And I don't think he's put it into action. I don't think he's over what happened over the summer. We played that one week without him at Man City. And honestly, if Bergvine and Lucas were healthy and playing right now, in my opinion, I would have already rotated him out. I would have well, already. Well, I mean, let's be let's be honest. We're playing Arsenal next. So that's not going to happen. But it's not going to happen. But I think for some of the matches we've already played, I would have already rotated them out. Or the bigger thing that has um, kind of not really been talked about a whole lot is the man has no competition for that center forward spot. He knows he's Harry Kane. He's going to play. So there's no motivation to work any harder than he absolutely has to. Um, I want to give context. 
two pieces of more recent Spurs history. So Luka Modric, uh, before his final season with Spurs, was pushing heavily for a move to Chelsea, of all places. Chelsea made it very well known they wanted him. He wanted out of Spurs. Levy said, in no way in hell am I going to sell our best player. Because at the time, Luka Modric was our best player, not Gareth Bale. It was a toss-up, but Modric was actually our better player at the time. Right, yeah. Levy said, I'm not going to sell our best player to Chelsea. It's not going to happen. Um, this is, this is, there was actually a great athletic article written about this very recently about the Chelsea and Spurs boardroom uh, war that's happened over the past, like, 15 years. And Modric was a key aspect in this. Us not selling the Modric was the main reason they stole William from us. He wasn't on their list at all. It's well known and been said that Abramovich said, we have a chance to steal William because he's coming from a Russian club and I know the owner. We're going to steal them just to spite Spurs because they screwed over uh, us for Modric and the whole hazard issue. But anyways, Modric sat out of training, sat out putting in a transfer request, something that Kane never did, put in a transfer request. Lee said, I'm putting a hard line down. I'm not selling you to Chelsea. You're staying here for one more year. Modric had a phenomenal year for us, borderline player of the year for us that next year. From the get-go, professionalism never in question. That next summer, gets his move to Real Madrid, has been there ever since, has won a fucking Ballon d'Or. <laughs> okay? There's, there's example one. Example two, Christian Eriksen. Our best player and most important player for five years. Comes in from Ajax as a 22-year-old, I believe. Uh, yeah. His whole first half of the season is the AVB rock, uh, rockiness. They don't know where to play him. AVB gets fired. Sherwood shoehorns him into the team as a left mid because the only place he knows where to play him. And Erickson wins player of the season, fan-voted player of the season for us, playing basically just over half a season in appearances. Spends the next four to five years being our most important player. Decides the season of our of our 18-19 season, we're going to a Champions League that I don't think I'm going to re-sign a contract. I want a new challenge. I'm in my mid-20s now. I know that if I'm going to move to a giant, which we can all agree Erickson was one of the best attacking midfielders in the world at that time, that was the time to make the move. Still was an important player for us in 18-19. Levy refuses to sell him, not because... Chelsea wanted him, but because he didn't want to sell him. And then he has to go through 1920 basically saying, listen, I've told you for over a year now I'm not signing a contract. I've, I've never changed my, my mind. I let you guys know well in advance that we're not selling that I'm not that I'm not signing a contract. I let you guys know a long time ago so you could have sold me for good money. They refused to sold him in January of 2020. For the ridiculous fee of what, twenty million, something like that. It's like sixteen. <laughs> and he goes <laughs> on and wins. Stupid. Goes on and wins the Serie A title for Inter before now. Tragically, it looks like his career may be over because of what happened at the Euros. I say this to say those are two players that were among our best players, if not our best players at the at the at the uh, at Spurs. Both went about telling Spurs in different ways that they wanted to leave, but both kept themselves and their, their performances high. 
Erickson was shot on endlessly by our by our, our fans for eight the last eighteen months, saying he was lazy, wasn't performing well. He still had our most assists on the team, and still was scoring game winning goals for us. Still performing. Modric had one of his best seasons for us in his entire what four or five years at the club after he had put in a transfer request. These are two players that still played their asses off for us, even though they were trying to leave. I say this to say there's no excuse for Harry Kane. I don't care if he's given us six years of great play. No other team was giving him a chance to be a Premier League striker. Spurs was it. He has given us great memories. He has scored a lot of goals for us. But Chris, if Kane continues on this path and has a very mediocre year, has his worst year in his first uniform, after everything that's happened since May, from that from from the the golf course interview before we finished the season and we missed out on top four, from saying nothing over the entire before or after the Euros, and then only putting out a two paragraph social media uh, uh, blast uh, after everything went down a week after showing not showing up for training. He hasn't given an interview. He hasn't done a Gary Neville interview since, right? He hasn't right, gone back to <laughs> that we know of <laughs> and said, "Hey, I'm here for Spurs." He how, he at any time could call any pundit up in England and say, "Harry Kane wants to give you an interview," and they would be at his doorstep in an hour. He has not done that, right? He so, did show up at. He did give the interview on Talk Sport where he said that he's committed to Spurs and his his goal has always been to win a trophy with Spurs. Now, this was a month after he probably should have done that. Right. Okay, so so, so fair enough. Fair play. And I, I don't think there was a ton of quotes that came out of that, but fair play. But to me, if – or to you, the question to you is, if Kane continues on this on this track of just kind of going through the motions and hoping he scores some goals and he ends up with a so-so season, his worst season in his first kit this season, what does that change for you? Because he's clearly not going to move in January. Like, that's just no. not going to happen, right? He's a, not a, a January player, transfer. Yeah. If he's I, hoping he can just go through the motions and then move next summer, like, does that not change the way you think about Harry Kane? It's his, well, his agent... Would and uh, 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 no, he signed with a new agent. It's not his brother anymore. His agent, yeah, would, legit agent that, yeah, he has an actual legitimate agent, which is another way of him basically saying, "I did make a huge mistake in in this last summer." Um, his agents will have have to have been telling him, "Like you need to pick it up. You need to you need to get something going here, get some momentum. If you really want to leave, um, the the window is still there for it to happen." Um, but you're going to have to play better than this. You can't have, you can't go through all of that and then have a shit season at Spurs and then expect that a reasonable club offer will come for you just based on the time you had before. What people will say is your has been, you had some really good season with Spurs. You had some really good times. You had some strong seasons and showed some great potential. You peaked. You're on your decline. Uh, welcome to Everton Football Club. Um, <laughs> and that will be that will be your legacy. And if if that's what you want, then it's just to get away from Spurs. You don't care where you go. Fine. Play like shit. Someone will come and buy you. 
just based on those few years. But it won't be the club you want to go to. It, it's not going to be City. It's definitely not going to be Chelsea. Um, and, and City, or not City, um, Madrid and Barcelona have no money. So uh, you have to play out of your mind if you want those kinds of moves. Um, right now, he is just an absolute drag to the team. Um, looking where he lined up, just we're going to quick revisit to the Chelsea game, but looking where he lined up off to the left of Sun, I see what Nuno was trying to do, having him drop back and overload the midfield and help. Um, but honestly, what happened was when he was supposed to be pressing the ball forward, uh, where Mount would be or where Atsubaquello would have been uh, pushing forward, he wasn't pressing. So basically, he doesn't press. So Delhi has to push past him to press. Regulon gets pulled forward. So he has to press so that Harry Kane can kind of stand around and mill about and see what happens. And his lackluster play and, and just inability to be a part of the team atmosphere altogether, as far as on the pitch, is destroying whatever game plan Nuno can put together. It's Unless just Nuno's game plan is to let Kane do whatever he wants, and then it's they're playing into each other, right? Because God, it, I hope that's not it. Just do whatever you want, and kick it. About. We're not. This isn't Harry Redknapp days. This isn't well, just kick no, it about and have a good time, boys. That, there's a chance that Nuno is telling Kane, "You have a free roam role. You go where you think you need to go, and we'll build a structure around it." My fear isn't just that Kane is looking out for himself. It's that Nuno is the only instruction coming from the top to Nuno is we that Kane's here and Kane has to play. And so Nuno's trying to play Kate Kane. My whole my whole argument and my theory, call it a conspiracy theory, <laughs> is that going back to a few pods ago when I was pissed off that Kane came straight back into the squad, is that Kane is being treated differently than other players. And I've been told, including Colin, who I'm not going to throw a shout out, he's not here yet, he's not here at the moment, but his his feelings have been echoed by other Spurs fans, is that, yeah, but Kane's given us six years of such amazing play, right? Kane's a, he's a homegrown talent, like, we have to give him some some different compensation, or, you know, consideration. To me, it sends a wrong message to the rest of the team, that we allow Kane to play however he wants to play. And he plays no matter what. Yet players like Ndombele, who have been in training since he was supposed to be in training, and every training video we see, we see Ndombele in the middle of it with all the first teamers. Everything Oli Gold has said is that Ndombele is fit. He looks as fit as he's ever looked. That he is as liked by all the players as he's ever been liked. Yet Ndombele and others have to work their way into the squad. Serge Aurier was frozen out and then released from his contract. Sissoko was frozen out and sold for basically pennies. Yet Harry Kane, because he's the golden boy, is allowed to just be on the pitch and play however he wants. And I think my fear is that Nuno is basically telling Kane, tactics be damned, go do what you want to go do, Kane. I will game plan the rest of it. Now, maybe that's not what's happening. But the fact of the matter is, you go look at the touch map, Kane is all over the place. There is no rhyme or reason where he's touching the ball. There's no rhyme or reason to the build-up play. He's not passing the ball forward to Sun or anybody else the way he was under Jose. 
where he was dropping deep. If you look under Jose, his touch map is all central. He dropped deep, but it was always in central areas. So he was readily available to the defense. How is the defense supposed to find him when they win the ball when he's off in the left wing somewhere, right? So my worry is that we looked really good when we had Son, Bergwijn, and, and Lucas up front. We're all very mobile. We can cause the defense lots of issues and we're all constantly moving. Kane's more of a statue, and he's, he, he drops deep. But he doesn't drop deep in the sprint forward because he's not doing that right now. So I think we need to look out for this moving forward. He's definitely going to start against against Arsenal. But this is something that's going to be a storyline all year is, does Kane get it going and can we find a, re- a way to integrate him into a team? Because the 4-3-3 Nuno's playing does not fit Kane at the moment. Um, but we need to move forward. Uh, we, we, we need to get to our last topic here, which is, Chris, how big of a week is this for Nuno? <laughs> um, back-to-back three three no losses in the league, a two 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 draw against Rin. We play Wolves tomorrow at Wolves in the League Cup. League Cup doesn't matter a bunch, but we're eliminated if we lose, obviously. And then we have the North London Derby on Sunday. So I think it's premature to say Nuno out, right? But if we get knocked out of the League Cup. And don't have a good performance on Sunday. I'm not saying result, but not a good performance. Are we right to say there's a hot seat under Nuno? No, I honestly, I uh, I feel this guy was put into a really tough situation. Regardless, uh, this was never this was not a, and it's not meant to be. Our, our expectations are uh, as as supporters are is to be in the top four or there thereabouts. And to have an entertaining side, this guy was dropped into a team followed by supporters who are in the rare combination of both being starved of trophies and starved of football with any style and entertainment to it. And sometimes if you have a team that's been able to produce one, you can get by for a little bit, but you can't get by without both. And right now, we're so starved for entertaining football that we've got people who are willing to take entertainment over the win. I'll I'll look if it looks good and we lose, I'm fine. But if we win and it's awful, I don't want it. Um, so I, so I think he was real quick, Chris. Is this not the same conversation we had for a year and a half with, with Jose? No, it is. It's the same thing. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. This is a lose-lose situation for him. If he wins, but it's ugly, people are still going to call for his head. And that's what I'm saying. By the end of the season, if he doesn't find a way to have us both playing entertaining football and winning, he's going to get fired because the fans are going to turn on him. So let me ask you a more targeted question then. Some people, a lot of people are saying that uh, on the forums online that, you know, five-game sample's not big enough. He's had eight competitive games. It's not large enough to see. He just got a starting eleven back. All that is well taken. It is, it is objective um, observations to, to consider, right? But at what point in the season do you, Chris – begin to draw conclusions, may not conclusions, but evaluations about Nuno's ability to turn the ship around. 
when how many league games in how many how far into each of the competitions or maybe it's a calendar month at what point are you sitting there saying okay i have enough information to say whether or not i feel confident in the direction we're going because remember december of last year we were in first place under jose Mourinho, and we all were sitting here saying well the football shit but we're getting we're getting good results (laughs) so let's ride it out and then Less than three months later, we were in seventh. Uh, so things in football can change fast, is what I'm trying to say. Correct. Yes. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. Especially when you're a Spurs fan. Um, so at what fast. point? At what point this season? In Nuno's first season. I know you've been quick to say Pochettino didn't have great results. He had better results than this, honestly. Um, in in his in his first eight competitive matches, because in Europe he was doing just fine, but. Where do you start drawing conclusions? At what point? And you don't have to give an exact answer, maybe a relative answer, but how long do you give him before you start drawing any sort of uh, evaluation? Uh, It's not that I don't think that we can start drawing some conclusions and making some evaluations on, on different things. What I ask of people is to look at full, honest context. I'm not asking for you to say, this is great. And we should be happy with three wins and just take it for what it is and keep pushing and and hope for the best. I'm just saying give full and honest context to the situation that Nuno has been put in. And it's not easy. This is is not an easy situation for any coach to take on, which is why it took us two and a half months to find one. But when you start – like – you can't just look at it and say, well, we had three wins that were one nil and then we lost three nil. And now I'm unhappy with the style of football because it's bad and I don't like it. You also have to stop and say, we have three players that would have been integral to that crystal palace game. True. Had true, they not true. decided to leave. So let me you ask you have a question. to look at those things and say, this was important as a factor as to why this happened. True. No, and you have to true. count that in. Let me ask you a question before we move on to uh, talking about predictions for tomorrow and then a brief, brief, brief preview for, for Arsenal on Sunday. No, we can't um, brief, preview Arsenal. we got to wait for Colin. <laughs> we're not previewing the game. I just want to talk about the importance of it. Um, who had it? In, keep your answer less than 30 seconds here. Who walked into a more difficult situation, Pochettino or Nuno Espirito Santo? That's oh, okay. That depends on who you ask. For me, um, I'm asking you. Is who I'm asking. For me, uh, Nuno. Our expectations of Nuno are much higher than what I thought of Pochettino. My expectations of Pochettino were very bad. I didn't so, expect anything from Pochettino. So, so I will agree the expectations for Nuno are much, much, much higher. I would say Pochettino had a tougher job on his hands though. The quality of the squad we had in 2014 was pretty dire. No pun intended, pun actually kind of intended because <laughs> Dyer scored the winner in his debut uh, against West Ham. But I mean, Dyer, who's the starting center back for Nuno? <laughs> still, seven years later, right? Um, but in 2014, we were playing people like Kyle Naughton, 
and Walker hadn't established himself. Rose had not established himself yet. We had Dawson as our captain. We still had Brad Friedel. Uh, man, I love, I love Brad Friedel. But we had Brad Friedel, which was his last professional club, I believe we were. I was there uh, for his last at, game. At, at, as, as goalkeeper, we had uh, Roberto Soldado, who was our club record signing, who couldn't score a goal for us. We had Andrews Townsend as our best option at right wing. Our quality of squad was in our budget was nothing compared to what Nuno has to work with. I will say Nuno has more expectations, but I think Pachio did more with less early on as far as showing us a path forward. Um, and so that, so for me, I think by November, this next month, we are playing a lot of good teams and we're going to get through most of the group stage in the conference league, which is a, for me, a must win competition. It's not just a, we need to get far. It's no, a, we need to we win need it. To win we absolutely need to win it. I, by, by, by November, I'm going to have strong opinions about, you think I already have strong opinions now, but by November, I will have a very strong opinion about Nuno. So tomorrow, real quick, we're playing Wolves at Wolves. Uh, ahead of North London Derby, where if we lose to Arsenal, we're on equal points with Arsenal after six games. Consider Arsenal didn't score a goal in their first three games. It's pretty crazy. Um, do you expect us to throw out the uh, youth tomorrow? I expect heavy rotation. Doherty? Uh, uh, no, yeah, we're going to see Doherty on the Doherty, as, as, Davies. As the right back. Doherty, Davies. Um, I, I would honestly expect Tanganga to probably start at center back as well. Jordy, Tanganga, Rodin, Davies. Yeah. Um, yep. Probably skip. Um, it's the front is the tough part because they we're limited. Bergwijn was in a boot two days ago. He's not playing. Lucas is still not playing. We actually know Bergwijn and Lucas aren't playing because Nuno so said Brian so Hill earlier today. It's probably going to be Brian Hill. Um, Scarlett? I don't know that Scarlett starts. And actually, I will say that if Scarlett does happen to get the start in this game, it's a good indication of where the team's priorities lie. I mean, no one gives a shit about Carabao, but if we get, get knocked out in the first first game like Everton just did, it does kind of sting a little bit, right? It stings, but at the same time, I think a lot of – Behind closed doors, pundits will say, yeah, they're kind of thin so, on the squad right now, and they prioritize like, the league first. So, we don't know what yeah. we're going to throw out there in the midfield and forwards, right, because we have limited options. But right. let's say we lose the Wolves tomorrow because we throw out a rotated squad. How fucking much pressure does Nuno have on him against Arsenal on Sunday? We would have just had three losses out of four, and the only non-loss was a lucky Two two draw at Red. How much pressure is on that North London Derby on Sunday? I no. I don't think you have to put any. I don't even have to. I don't think you have to put the Wolves game in there to say that there's a lot of pressure on on an Arsenal game. There's regardless, there's regardless if we could win five yeah. nil tomorrow and it doesn't matter. Yeah, there's no. I don't think you. I, I don't think the Wolves game has any bearing on how much pressure there is for for an for North London Derby. You you this is the game you you have to field. 
And I, I think that will play a lot into the lineup and how how seriously we take Wolves tomorrow is the fact that we have a North London Derby on Saturday or on Sunday, and you have to win it. I mean, it, it's not really this is a again a piss poor Arsenal side against what seems to be a piss poor Spurs side. So you have to win this game. Without um, the Emirates, right? Yeah, it's and and going to the Emirates is hard enough. So you you have to field a very strong team here. It's I'm hoping the library I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that you know you do sit your Lucas and Bergvine and some of these other players so that they are rested for the North London Derby. Now, from a club standpoint, I think they're more thinking in terms of you sit some of those players because they're just not healthy and you don't want to risk long-term injury North London Derby regardless. But from a fan standpoint, I would totally junk Wolves if it meant going out and trashing the scum. I, I would totally just bin this Wolves game, and if we lost it 2-0 and got bounced out of the Carabao Cup, I, I don't know that I'd be sad. I would just hate to watch it. But if it means so, going to so the based, Carabao based, with a strong – or going to Arsenal with a strong yeah. lineup – Based on our squad depth, if we get bounced from the Carabao Cup, it's not the end of the world. But we're not going to preview Arsenal, so we're going to leave on this note right here, okay? Ready? Right. After the Arsenal match, here's our matches in October. Assuming we don't have it, we might have another Carabao Cup match, but assuming we don't. We play um, NS Mira in Conference League. On the 30th of September, so it's actually not October. So starting October October 2nd, we play Aston Villa. Then there's international break. We play Newcastle on the 17th. Vitesse on the 21st. West Ham on the 24th. And then the day before Halloween, we play Manchester United. So our four league games are Villa, Newcastle, West Ham United. And we play two... Well, if you call NS Mira, you throw that in there because it's the day before uh, October, two uh, conference league games. I just said that by November is when I'm going to, you know, starting in November is when I'm going to really have enough sample size to say this is what I feel about Nuno. That's four league matches and two group stage matches. What are you expecting? After the Arsenal match, we're not going to preview the Arsenal match right now, but what are you expecting moving forward as far as, okay, I'm okay with where we're at? As far as results go in those six matches. It's, I mean, I'm expecting improvement in play. Um, results. Results. Re- Results-wise, so, we should be winning most of those matches, if not all of them, in my opinion. West Ham. Villa, West Ham, Newcastle, and United. We should be able to go to Villa. We should be able to go to Newcastle. We should be able to go to West Ham. And we should be able to get a result from all three of those matches. Uh, United, I expect to. Newcastle and West Ham are away. I don't care where they are. (laughs) Okay. I don't. Yeah, I'm regardless of where we're playing, we should be able to go to those clubs and we should be able to get a a result, particularly Newcastle. Oh, yeah. Um, my, my biggest concern is when it comes to United at the end of the month, do we go to United? Number one, where is United when that match happens and what kind of streak are they on? 
Number and two. That, is, that one does matter because we're yeah, playing. It absolutely matters. Right. It, that one absolutely matters. And number two, uh, what kind of form are we on going into United? And do we go to United and give them a match like we just saw against Chelsea? Or are we going to give them the, the the Spurs that showed up against City? So it, it's there are so many things, again, that, that dictate going into that run of matches, what my expectations are. I mean, if we're running into that run of matches and we come out of this next international break with a plethora of injuries like we did this time, how can you judge Nuno? How can you say? Well, hopefully, hopefully a lot of international players that are going around this countries aren't going. My, my overall question to you was, are you expecting at least two or three more wins? Or are you yes. expecting seven points in October? Out of those matches, uh, let's see. Matches, counting? Are we, I'm not even counting Mira. I'm look, just looking at the league matches. I, Yeah. Bare minimum, I would say we need to have at least seven points out of those matches coming in. That's two wins and a and a draw coming out of those matches. Arsenal. Let's say we draw Arsenal. Okay, that puts us at seventeen points um, after uh, ten games. Are you comfortable with that? I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's probably a little better than I expected us to be. Fair enough. Because I think that's the same. I think as long as we win the two Europa UEFA um, Conference League matches, and well, honestly, if we beat Vitesse twice and we win the next three, and we are looking good in the group, you know, our November actually looks pretty good. Uh, in November, we have a lot of matches against teams we should be actually, winning. Can I can I say something in there? Just looking yeah. at those matches and looking at the calendar, the ones that I think we should be really judging him on and whether or not there's some progression, because this has always been my biggest sticking point with Spurs. Um, we have a thing about, we have a thing about going into teams that we should handily beat and playing down to their level and losing or getting a draw. Newcastle away right after the international break. Is that where you're Newcastle away is a worry. I want to see how we perform there. I want to see how we perform against Mura. And I want to see how we perform against Vitesse. Because those are games we should win without concern. If we're, looking, we at the league, if we're looking at the league, Newcastle right after the international break is one for me that yeah. is definitely judging. Are but we then winning West where Ham, we should be West winning? Ham on short, West Ham on short notice away. I think is a big deal too because that's a huge derby right away to West Ham where we are used to beating West Ham. We we don't always obviously a team that never gives up, you mean? <laughs> yes. But West Ham caused us some pain last year. Right. And I hope Nuno understands that match. So for me, in October, it's Newcastle and West Ham that are the two matches that I really am looking at. So I, I just wanted I just wanted to have a quick conversation there about, you know, before November, we have a we have a good run of matches where we should be winning. So at the end of the day, it's too early uh, to to judge new yet, but uh, there's a lot of warning signs. You know, I, I think it's like 
I felt the shimmy in the car. I felt a, a weird <laughs> vibration in the car, and there's a, and there's a warning sign popping up on my dash. Doesn't mean the car is broken. Doesn't mean we need to sell it and get a new car, but we might need to take it into the garage to get it looked at. That's where I'm at. Um, it sounds like Chris, you may not quite be there yet. You might be taking it about another, you know, fifty hundred miles down the road before you uh, decide to take it into the shop. It's a good way to put to it. Each their own. But at the end of the day, we can all say um, this club is going to kill us at some point. So uh, yes. talk until it kills us. Um, but come <laughs> on, you Spurs, and we will join you here shortly in a few days. Hopefully, Friday night or Saturday morning, we will have a North London Derby podcast out. I'll try to get Hooter Pat back on the horn uh, that's worked for us in the past. Uh, and, you know, Chris, want to call us out here with a what, with a come on you Spurs with a there it is <laughs> come on you Spurs all right we'll talk to you guys soon thanks for listening you've been listening to Fake Side Spurs podcast with Colin Austin and Chris find the lads on Instagram or Facebook at Fake Side Spurs.